family, and God, hold him in your truth, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, God is good. God is good, thank you. I'm going to share as closely as I can to what I sent you, Caroline, but we'll see, because I'm not always the best at preaching from notes, but I'll try, my, I'll try for you, James, I'll give it a go. I think there's some steps that God has took us on on this journey that have actually started to change our community, change our church, that people are starting to look in and people are starting to come. And I love this house. See, we're family, aren't we? I think sometimes you go places as a guest speaker, and James, I loved your introduction. It's always a slightly embarrassing one, isn't it? We glean from each other. This house, I came here years ago, heard Sharon Stone, the prophetess, speak, and something in me was set alive in the prophetic because I came here. This church has been here for decades, been serving the community for decades, loving people for decades. I'm here to glean and I'm here to give because that's how the family of God works. And what I want us to grab hold of this morning is who God is, who we are in him, the ability to honor each other based on the word of God, that then I want to suggest to you will release a prophetic culture that shifts the atmosphere and changes your city. That's what we're called to do. James, you said about being the aroma of Christ and going out. But if we go out without encountering Jesus and without knowing who we are, then our evangelism is just out of works and out of duty and is shallow. We need to be transformed within that when we go out, the world will know that we are God's. Don't you find it really challenging in the book of John that Jesus implores us that the world will know us by the way we love each other? Not just by the way I love Jesus. The world will know my Jesus by the way I love James. By the way, our church is set on fire as a family to love one another, to care for one another, to speak well of one another, to forgive one another, to put disagreements aside, to live as a true community that shines for the world. Because they come in and go, I've never seen love like that before. I've never seen community like that before. That's when our evangelism will be set alight by the Spirit. So let me start off with, who is God? God is good. It says in Psalm 34, verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. God is always good. Always good. Even when you don't understand it. Even when your prayers are not currently being answered. Even when you do something wrong, he's still good. It's his nature and it's his character. It's who he is. God is also love. 1 John four sixteen. Can I suggest, as I'm prophetic more than a teacher, this is a mature house. The people who are hungry for God and want to know God more. Take some notes. If you've got your, your pads, if you've got your phone, take some notes and study out in the week. So I'm going to skim across a lot of scriptures so I can deposit everything I feel like God's asked me to give you this morning. And I can be a little bit quicker. And hopefully my thicks and tellings accent doesn't hinder you too much. 1 John 4:16. And so we know and rely on the love of God. The love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever loves lives in God. And God in them. He's good, and he's loving all of the time. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He knows everything, he sees everything, he's everywhere all at once, and he has all of the power. That's, it is right. <laughs> it's so right. But do we let that permeate every bit of our lives all of the time? You don't have to answer me, but I, I, I do like a bit of a conversation every now and again. It's not the TV. Do we? 
Does every time something goes wrong in my life, my first response is, God, you're loving, God, you're good. Therefore, I have hope in you because you have all the power, all the knowledge, and you're here. I'm getting better, but it's not instant. I'd love it to be instant. You see, I remember a prayer meeting a number of years ago that I had in our church, and we had some lovely roles like you've got here, and we were singing Amazing worship this morning, by the way. So anointed. We were singing, How Great Is Our God. And I'm in the middle of the prayer meeting, really, really frustrated. And I'm about to leave. Because these roles and this ordered music and this way we're doing it, it's, it's not good enough. It's not great enough. It's just too small for how great God is. That would be okay, except I was the pastor and I put the roles out and I called the prayer meeting, so it was my fault. Plus, if you're the pastor and you leave, the church don't tend to like it that much. So I kind of thought, God, you're not actually asking me to leave here. What on earth are you doing in me that is causing me this discomfort? So praise God I stayed. I'm still in a job. That's always helpful. But I got home and just started to write. There's just something in me that's, God, you're better than my words can explain. You're better than our worship can currently express. You're better than... I'm even experiencing in all my years of knowing you, you're just better and you're just bigger. And this is what came out. And I want to read it to you because I believe it will just help us get a bigger picture of how great our God is. I'm, I'm not a writer. I've not been a writer since then. So I put this down to Holy Spirit, not down to me. But God give me this piece of writing called Greater Than That. How great is our God? If we only knew, if we only knew, if we only knew, our songs can't contain him, no words explain him. Our language restricts and constricts, our thoughts too few, our comprehension limited, understanding his incomprehensible greatness, a futile exercise in stretching our minds. No theology sufficient, no amplification, exaggeration, elaboration, impossible. Your greatness has no overstatement. I can't lay it on thick enough, big talk too small. Enlargement, magnification, hyperbole, impossible all. He is great. No, even greater than that. If we glimpsed his greatness, it would leave us breathless, listless, awestruck, dumbfounded, speechless, on our faces, unable to fathom his unfathomable greatness. Our God is greater. No, he's even greater than that. My worship is limited and modest, too small for your greatness, too constrained for your face. I may speak of your love and sing of your glory, reflect on your mercy and awe of your grace. Your fullness is limitless abundantly, lavishly, overwhelmingly full, measured without measure, abounding, resounding, copious, profuse, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Your goodness knows no bounds. Your love never fails. Your love awakens love, creates love. You're the source of all love, the fountain of life. No lacks, no limits, no needs, the true I am. Our God is greater. No, even greater than that. His reign is undisputed, his throne uncontested, his name unsurpassable, even greater than that. His power is matchless, his creativity unending, his wisdom is peerless, even greater than that. His presence is constant, his comfort is healing, his protection impenetrable, even greater than that. He is beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words. Creation displays his glory, the heavens declare. 
yet creation can't contain him. Religion can't tame him. Our boxes can't hold him. He is the beginning and the end, the great I am, the all-sufficient one, the holy one, set apart, high above, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, ever-present, mighty, awesome, King of kings and Lord of lords, the hope of nations, the darling of heaven, the magnificent one, the light of the world, the supreme one. My language is limited. My musing embarrassingly small. My words are inadequate and far too few. To know the greatness of God, then God, I need you. See, there's something in the greatness of God that requires us to have relationship with him to discover how great he is. It causes us to have to walk with him and experience him and get to know him and see his miraculous breakthrough in our lives, see how he walks me through the troubles and sometimes he lifts me out in an instant and I celebrate the miracle and sometimes he walks with me over years of pain and hurt and it's only in that knowing do I start to glimpse just how great he is. That's what we're called to. And when we know who he is, then we can know who we are. You know, the word of God is powerful. As we read scriptures today, let it permeate your spirit. Because Romans 8, 15 and 16, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, says this about you and about me. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Sons and daughters. And the Holy Spirit, I, I, I often feel this is Holy Spirit's favorite job. I don't know how far I can go with this camera, James. I'm sure I'm a nightmare. I'm a nightmare most weeks. I disappear off the stream. I just feel this is, it's his favorite job to bear witness with your spirit. To whisper and say, Paul, you're my son. Paul, you're loved. Paul, you're treasured. Paul, I know it's been a hard week, but you're my son. I've got your back bears witness directly, spirit to spirit, that you're a son and daughter of God. What does that do for who you think you are? It transforms the way you have to act, the way you have to live. It transforms this sense of performance and religion. I'm naturally really introverted and quite shy. Nobody ever believes me anymore because I'm 48 years into a journey and I look a bit different now than I used to. It's just because I know that I'm a son. I'd still be sat at the back quite quietly minding my own business and prefer to read and be on my own than be up here. But I'm a son of God and there's a calling on my life to come and preach the word of God that lives might be transformed. So something inside me changes because with the most politeness I can muster, and you don't have to invite me back, James, it's all right. I don't really care what you think of me. There's lots of churches I've only been to once. It's fine. Because I care what he thinks. We're living for an audience of one. I love you, and I'd love to go on a further relationship with you and get to know you, but your opinion of me is not number one. Whether you think I did a good sermon or not is not number one. Whether Jesus says, come on, my son, you gave it a go again, and some people were blessed and some lives were transformed, I'll live for that. You are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance. It's a setup. This life is a setup. Sometimes we can just get so burdened and so intense about this Christian life. Your life is a setup. You've been set up as a son and daughter of God to do the works that Jesus has already prepared for you to do. How can you fail? Just be you with Him and watch what He'll do. I love the original language. I'm a bit of a nerd for, for words. 
So depending which version of the Bible you read, handiwork here is translated handiwork. It's translated as masterpiece in the NLT. It's translated as work of art in the Jerusalem Bible. The original Greek word is poema, where we get our English word poem from. You were God's poem. Come on, James, let's get... I did say I loved you, didn't I? So let's look in, let me look into your eyes and tell you this morning. <laughs> you were God's poem. You were God's masterpiece. You were God's treasure. You were God's work of art. That changes something on the inside, doesn't it? He doesn't begrudgingly love you because you've sinned again. No, no, you're his work of art that was created to display his glory. Is it Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we fell short of it, therefore we were created for it. Otherwise, how could we fall short? And Christ came to reinstate us back to the mission of displaying his glory that the world may see and know that he is God. You're his artwork. Jesus, let that transform us this morning. Let that transform our identity this morning, that we are created as a masterpiece by you. Think, church, we've got to know who we are. And when we know who we are, it will change how we act and how we live. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. Let this one resonate at City Church. I've already seen it this morning by the way you've worshipped, by the way you've welcomed us, by the way you love Jesus. God's doing something here. But you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Son and daughters, royalty. Prince James, sounds all right, mate, doesn't it? Prince Paul. You're royal in the kingdom. This is where it gets a little challenging. There's a way that royalty is supposed to live, isn't there? And we can keep our opinions to ourselves about whether we think they always do live like that and they fulfill that well and whether I'm a royalist or not is neither here nor there. Who wants to hear my opinion anyway? But in the biblical sense of how royal people live, there is a way that you present yourself. There is a way that you hold yourself. There is a way that you treat other people. You walk with honor. You treat people with honor. One of the foundations of the Christian faith is every person is worthy of dignity and honor because every person is created in the image of God. That's the foundation of our faith. So when we're royal, we walk as kingdom people and we honor everyone. And if you love me and you're good to me and you encourage me, I honor you. And if you hate me and you persecute me and you turn me down... I treat you with honor because I'm royal. There's no arrogance in that. That's just who Christ says I am. I'm royal. I'm a prince in the kingdom. So treat me well, treat me badly. You're getting honor back because that's who I am. It's a different way of thinking. I don't have to go after revenge anymore. I don't have to go after getting my own back and fighting my own battles. He fights for me. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies, he says in Psalm 23. I'll let him fight. I'll have my dinner. I'm five foot nine and probably about 12 stone wet through, but I've never been much of a fighter. I'll have me dinner and he can fight. You're the royal people. I believe honor will shift your culture 
I believe honor will transform the way you see each other and the way you treat each other. Can I give you a really simple definition of what I believe biblical honor is? It's not just being nice. You know, most people who come to my church, I look at Peter and Christina here this morning who've come to minister with me. Well, no, I, I, I'm sometimes a bit direct. I'm, I'm not the most pastoral on our team. Thankfully, I've got an amazing pastoral wife. Sometimes the prophetic in me and the apostolic just wants to tell people where we're going next and what we're doing, and it can be a little direct. Honor isn't just about being nice. It isn't about not saying the difficult things. But it is about seeing what God says over your life and over mine. So if I can say, Barnabas, you're a son of encouragement, and your encouragement carries a supernatural edge that will bring breakthrough, that's honor. Because that's who God says he is. Doesn't mean he never gets anything wrong. Doesn't mean I don't challenge him if I see him getting something wrong. Because a culture of honor needs confrontation. To hold us in line with the word of God. But it's about starting to see the treasure in each other. Because everyone in here carries the kingdom. And everyone in here carries a royal identity. See, Jesus did it. I love Jesus' treatment of Peter because Peter's the one, isn't he, that sometimes reacts and shoots from the hip a bit and says things that are not that appropriate and just goes ahead and probably would climb the next mountain. I sometimes feel a bit like Peter. I'm definitely more Peter than Paul. And I love Jesus' treatment of him because, isn't he, when he gets the revelation, who do you say I am? I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yes, that's right. And on the rock of that revelation, I will build my church, and you are called Peter. He honors him right there and calls him to his purpose and ministry. Then Peter does a Peter, messes it up pretty well, and denies Jesus three times. But the next accounts following Jesus' death, the breakfast on the resurrection, let me give you the scriptures I'm talking about. I'm going to talk for the sake of time rather than read them all. Matthew 16. Is where Jesus honors Peter, verse 13 to 20, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. John 21 is the resurrection appearance at breakfast. And the disciples are in the boat. They see someone making breakfast. They're not quite sure who it is. John recognizes him and says, that's Jesus. Peter's response, read it later, is stunning. Because if I denied Jesus three times, I think I'd be hiding at the back of it. I'd be nudging James. We'd be in the boat, and I'd be like, you're going, mate. You're going because you've pleased him. I've badly messed up. He probably likes you a bit better at the minute. If you put a word in for me, I might sneak up after and have a fish butter and see if I'm back in these good books. And now Peter's response is he throws on his outer garment and he runs to Jesus. The man in his sin and in his denial. Have any of you denied Jesus three times in person? No. The man in the depth of his sin runs to Jesus. Because he knows what Jesus' response will be. And Jesus reinstates him with three do you love me questions, doesn't he? Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Jesus, yeah, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Peter's almost getting a bit annoyed, isn't he? I've answered you twice, Lord. You know how much I love you. Then feed my sheep. Then feed my lambs. Then be reinstated to the purpose that I was always calling you to, to lead my church. And Peter ultimately follows that to his death. Jesus knew how to honor the only phrases that you'll read of Jesus that sound harsh were to the religious people. I'll be good, James. I'll be good. Come on, church. Let's kick out religion. Let's kick out tradition. 
Let's not do things because that's the way we've always done them. Let's not let the religious spirit trap us from being free to step into the new things that God's got for us because they were the only people that Jesus was ever belonged with. Whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you stink. That's the Centellian's translation. We're called to honor from a place of knowing who God is and a place of knowing who we are. And when we do that, I believe a prophetic culture will naturally emerge. So there are prophetic people in here. All of us are children of God, are called to hear the voice of God, because Jesus tells us that in John 10. I'm the good shepherd. You're my sheep, and my sheep hear my voice. So we're all called to hear God. We're all called to operate in prophecy at that level. Some of you are called to be highly gifted in that gift. Some of you will be called to be prophets. The way we start a culture like that, the way we've seen it emerge in our church was birthed in honor. Because when I know what I see in you, then what comes out of my mouth is in line with what God's saying over you, is coming from a place of love and is in line with scripture. Therefore, it's prophetic. It's simple. See, Genesis 1, God spoke creation into being. John 1, Jesus is the word that was at creation before the foundation of the world. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Then Romans 4, one of my favorites. I know I say it every week, but they're all my favorites. I just love the Bible. Romans 4, 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being the things that were not. Wow. Got any dead things in your life? Got any broken things in your life? Got any lack in your life? They're all pretty healthy and well here, James. I think it must be an Acts church where there's no sick and no lack among them. Come on. So if we have, then what's God saying about that situation? And when we know what it's saying and it aligns with his word, can we start to speak it out? Because declaration brings a release in the kingdom. We align with faith rather than fear, and that's what moves the hand of God. Faith is the currency of heaven. Start to honor folks, a prophetic culture will break out. Start to ask God. And this is not some name it and claim it nonsense. I used to be a builder, so for me, everything's got to work. I'm not into whipping things up and, and hype. Everything's got to work and got to be real. Otherwise, I'm just not interested. I haven't got the time. So if there's lack in my life, if there's death in my life, if there's struggle in my life, Father, what are you saying? I will presume on his promises that are already there because that's what he tells me to do. So if it's in the word and I'm promised that I'm declaring it and I'm praying. If it's something that I don't see clearly, Father, what are you doing now? Are you walking me through? Or is the way that you want me to pray, is there an invitation that you've got for me that will transform my life, that will release life for death, provision for lack, health for sickness? That's a prophetic culture. And that's what I believe God is calling us as church. I think as we were worshiping Paul, and there was a beautiful moment when the congregation took over. When actually out of the overflow of your hearts, your mouths began to sing. Before the team even got to day and night, night and day, let incense arise, you guys were there. That's a great sign.
That's a great sign. The heart of love for Jesus is overflowing. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Let them have to catch you up. Let your passion and your love for Jesus rise up so much that people from Liverpool can't help but pour in because there's just something different here. Let's know who God is. Know who we are. Live and speak accordingly. Make honor. I nearly had a H then, James. That'd be a first for me. Make honor a high kingdom value and birth a prophetic culture. Really natural order to the way we can do that. Start by just telling someone what you think of them. It can be really awkward at first as a group of people. I found it really awkward. I think the breakthrough moment for me was when I'd done probably about my fifth or sixth funeral as a pastor. And it was one of the people in church that I love dearly. And as part of my homily, my preach in the funeral, I also did a eulogy about the man. And I came out in my car and I was in tears. Because I'm like, Father, I was happy to do that at his funeral, but never had the guts to do it to his face. What's that about? That's not the Church of Jesus Christ where I'm so British. That's British, shy, awkwardness. That's not kingdom. Kingdom is I'm going to tell you what I think of you. I'm going to call out the great things in you. I'm going to call out the gold in you. I'm going to cheer you on to be all you can be in Christ. I'm going to tell you what I love in you. I'm going to tell you how you represent God to me. And I'm going to be brave enough to do it. And church, I'm going to be brave enough to hear it. Because sometimes we can be a little bit more awkward about hearing people say nice things about us than we even are about going, calling out the gold in others. Can we go after the culture of honor here? Come on. We're going to minister in a moment. Got three minutes left, James. I've done all right. Not bad for me, that. Can I share a word about the church? Yep. There's, there's a reason I ask, and I'm quite clear about doing this every time I preach in a church that's not one of our CLC churches. We have a couple of churches currently that, that connect. And there's a reason I ask. James has invited me here and knows that some of what we do would inevitably be prophetic because of the anointing on the house and because of the way that my gifting works. And I feel completely at liberty to prophesy over individuals if I ask your permission. When I start to get a word for the house that is City Church, I don't have the authority to share that word without the permission of the leaders of this church. And it's really, really important because what I believe is going to happen today is you're going to catch more of a prophetic culture. Your prophetic people are going to rise up. More words are going to start to be shared. More honor is going to start to be released. But if we don't actually get the correct order of authority, then it's a mess and it's dangerous. And I don't want any of it. If we want to see the church of Jesus Christ in the UK catch hold of prophecy again, we've got to walk honorably and walk well. And it can't be flaky. It can't be mavericks. It can't be I only listen to Jesus. Because that's a recipe for disaster. And Jesus has put people in authority. So when I get a word that's for the church here, I need the permission of the leaders here. Because the realm of my authority stops there. And as a prophetic person in this house, it's really important that you see that demonstrated. Because when you get a word, if James says no, it's no. I'm not responsible before God then. I've done my bit. I listened. I heard. I asked. James says no, it's no. God wants James to say yes. God can speak to James about that. God will say, well done. 
my good and faithful servant. You don't want to ask you to do. Let's get hold of that before we release higher prophetic gifting. So City Church, what I saw as I was praying this morning, this is fun. This is so much fun. I heard the phrase City of Joy. And what I saw was this church just so filled with the joy of Jesus that the world was drawn to see, that the world wanted to come and know what all the fun was about. Fun's not a word we always get hold of well in church. It doesn't sound serious enough. The joy of Jesus released in this place that Liverpool will see. And I saw it in two ways so that, that you may know better than me, certainly those of you that are natives of Liverpool, Liverpool actually means thick pool, a deep, thick pool that actually originally started with two streams going into it. So what I saw was the living water of Jesus was thick here. The joy was thick here. The joy was so evident, but it came from two streams. First of all, the joy in your salvation. Are we recording, James? Fantastic. I'll just speak freely then. First of all, the joy in your salvation. And secondly, the joy of the Lord. And let me explain what I think the difference of those are for you as a people. I believe the joy of your salvation you will never lose. Whether you've been saved for a day or whether you've been saved for 80 years. I've spent the last six weeks asking Jesus, and I'm likely to get emotional because I have done every week since I've asked him. Jesus, just show me again. Show me again the depth of your salvation. Show me again the love it took to save a wretch like me. And I've been wrecked since. I can't speak. I can't turn up to an elders meeting. I can't turn up to a business meeting without crying. Thankfully, the church seemed to be on the same journey, so they don't think I'm having a breakdown, which is nice. I believe you'll never lose the joy of your salvation, the wonder of your salvation, the fullness of your salvation. And what that will do will mean your church can go abroad. Because you'll never lose the desire to reach the lost because they need the same joy as you've got. So you can go wide. You can plant wide. There's a prophetic word for you. You can plant wide. There'll be people coming here, but there'll be people planted out there. There'll be groups. There'll be churches. There'll be things that are birthed as your roots go deep. You can plant wide because the joy of your salvation remains in this house. And then the joy of the Lord. See, discipleship will be deep here. Your relationship with God will be deep here. You won't get so focused on going out there that you forget in here. You'll be emotionally healthy. You'll be spiritually healthy. You'll always be going back to, Jesus, what are you saying? What are you doing in my life so I've got some treasure to give? No burnout here. No ministry fatigue here. No driving of the sheep here. Just the people that are so in love with Jesus. And never forget the joy of the salvation and the joy of the Lord. So we've got to tell other people. That's what I saw in your streams here, that you'd keep pressing in and you'd keep spreading out. You'd keep pressing in and you'd keep spreading out. You'd keep pressing in and you'd keep spreading out. I believe those phrases will hold you. Keep pressing in, keep spreading out. If you're a person that's more prone to spreading out like me, that's not a middle-aged statement. I'm not talking about my belly. If you're a person that's more drawn to the fringes and the edges and telling everybody about Jesus, I need to constantly be reminded to keep pressing in. Otherwise, I'll burn out because I'm always going to the next frontier. If you're more prone to being a pressing in person and a relationship with Jesus person, you'll need to hear 
Keep going out. Keep going further. Let that hold what God has in store for you. And I believe your joy is contagious. Your joy is contagious. Can we stand together? Paul, I just wonder if you could come and just play and we're going to ask Holy Spirit how we're going to do this. Can I just ask if anything's resonated with you this morning around what God's saying about identity, who he is, who you are, honoring others, releasing a prophetic culture and being a people of joy. Just let me ask you to put your hand on your heart. And the reason I'm asking you to do that, you have authority. New Covenant believers in Jesus, you carry the Spirit. I need to invite you into the prayer I'm going to pray. I'll just pray a prayer over you. So if something's resonated and you want more of the Spirit of God, more of the joy of the Lord, then just put your hand on your heart and I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're present. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Father, thank you that you love us. And Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would bear witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters. That a fresh wave of identity would resonate in each one of us at City Church. That a fresh wave of identity, God, that breaks off insecurity, that breaks off past trauma, that breaks off every curse spoken over us. Some people have had curses spoken over. We break them off now in the name of Jesus. Jesus blesses and not curses. Jesus blesses and not curses. So I silence the voice of the enemy and say, curses will ring in your ears no more. You will hear the blessings. You will hear the prophetic purposes. Curses will ring no more in the name of Jesus. Jesus healed trauma that hinders us from identity. Jesus healed broken relationships that keeps us separate from love. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, release joy. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Just ask him for yourself. How about we say out loud, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And let the joy of the Lord be our strength.